Hello, welcome to the Growing Design Podcast, where we help you grow your design agency. If you want to learn how to price your services, how to sell your expertise, and how to attract the right type of clients, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Ed Orozco. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Growing Design. Today, I'm joined by three special people. Um, If you guys remember from a few episodes back, I had a very interesting conversation with Simon Martin, uh, co-founder of Resonant.Design. And today we are joined by Simon again and his two partners, um, Hauke and Fabian. Um, Can you guys introduce yourself for the audience real quick? Sure. Uh, Yeah, hello from Resonant Design and um, I'm Hauke. Um, I will do a really quick introduction for myself. Um, yeah, I'm part of Resonant Design. I joined the company uh, as the third. Um, that means I was joining one year after the company was actually founded. And uh, we all three met at Native Instruments, where we all three work as designers um, in the field of user experience and um, UI design, as well as um, generally interaction design, I would say. My background actually is in industrial design. Uh, that's what the document says, at least. And um, yeah, also during my studies already, I was um, involved in uh, interaction design and uh, yeah, interface design as well. And uh, that's when I decided um, I want to work in this field. and. I was really happy that I could actually join the company, uh, which is Native Instruments. Back in the days, it's five years ago already, and um, yeah, it was actually was kind of like a dream back in the days um, because I used a lot of software of them and I was using a lot of hardware of them, and my dream always was to be part of working on these um, machines. I think so. One one of their Product is actually called Maschine, and um, I ended up working in that department in the end. That's where I met these two guys, and uh, after five years of Native Instruments, uh, I guess we will get to that uh, later. Um, yeah, I joined Resonant Design. I'm quickly going to fix our camera. Oh, yeah. Sure, Fabian, go ahead. Hello, my name is Fabian. Yeah, um, Simon and me joined, uh, created the, the company um, almost two and a half years back now. Um, my background um, is UI design and um, prior to Native, um, I worked um, at a Fujifilm sub-company for kind of creating UIs for web shops. But um, my passion has always been um, music, music production. I was a bit of DJing in the past and um, yeah, after university where I studied multimedia design was for me more like exploring and seeing what's out there in the design world because I didn't know if UI design was th- that what I actually wanted to do all my life and uh, so I went to university and tried everything from fashion design to origami to <laughs> what not everything in, in multimedia basically um, and then moved to Berlin and found this position at Native Instruments and yeah, was lucky enough to, to got accepted and uh, could combine this UI design passion and, and music creation. 
And yeah, and after a couple of years, I think uh, we just, I always had the, the dream of starting something on my own. And yeah, when I met Simon and Hauke, it, it somewhat uh, made it more um, realistic to start something on my own. Were you, um, did you join Native Instruments when these guys were already there? Or did you join after they had been there, around? I think Simon started like a couple of weeks before I started as a as a working student, and um, I can't remember was it a year later or so Hauke joined or two years later. Yeah, and I remember I think two weeks after we met, we went to a party and then already became friends afterwards. Were you DJing in that party? <laughs> no, 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 just dancing. Okay, and and I know um, Simon, you also have a DJing background. So um, can you can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't even call it a, a real DJ background. I mean, I, <laughs> I bought my first turntables when I was 13, I think, so pretty, pretty early. And um, um, I came from a um, from an environment of like graffiti writing and skateboarding and that stuff. And then um, the music part, um, yeah, was kind of getting started there too with um, DJing and, and playing uh, the old uh, hip hop stuff for a while, and and kind of transitioning to um, drum and bass at some point, and we um, started a small, um, yeah, party night, a regular thing in in the town I'm coming from, and um, had a lot of fun there, but. As soon as I came to Berlin and started um, studying and started working at some point, this whole thing, um, yeah, I didn't really find the time. And and also, I didn't really want to go this professional DJing way, I guess, to <laughs> spend every weekend somewhere else. And, and It's a tough yeah, life. No. Yeah. I think it's also, I mean, in general, and especially in Berlin, I think it's really tough to get to get uh, the foot in the door, could you say that, somewhere as a DJ, you know, because I think it's a really, there's a lot of people you meet here that want to be a DJ and want to be a producer and something like this. It's on the one hand really exciting, on the other hand it makes it really hard, I think, to to follow that route. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to make a living uh, designing interfaces. <laughs> I think also, I mean, the <laughs> Also in, in Berlin is, I mean, Berlin is a creative city and there's a lot of people that want to get into design and um, there's a lot of people that are, have a design background. And I think, um, uh, I, m I might lie now, but I think the salaries here are not as high as they are in other parts of Germany, for designers especially, because there are so many of, of creative people and uh, people that are in graphic design, user experience design people that are part of startups uh, and so on and so forth. All right, and speaking of startups, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the how, how the idea of starting an agency came to be, um, who came up with the idea, or was it the three of you at the same time? And, and what was the process of setting up your company and getting your first client? Uh, yeah, I think I will pass to one of these guys because I I joined a year after. <laughs> um, yeah, trying to remember, it was definitely not some a quick decision or something. I think it, it, it Simon and myself started talking 
Uh, I guess it was kind of like after four years or so being at the company, mainly in the same teams and same positions. And we kind of felt like we wanted some change. And from that, there somehow uh, developed a conversation over the duration of maybe half a year or even longer. Um, that we either think, okay, do we go somewhere else or what other options do we have? And we started talking about why don't we create something ourselves and start our own company. And um, we weren't pretty unsure, I think, if it would even work in the music industry. I mean, it's quite small. Um, you see not many full-time positions out there. I mean, now nowadays it's growing, there are more companies coming. But I think two and a half or three years ago, that was not so much the case. And um, we just thought, I think especially because in Germany we have quite a good uh, support from, the, from our government uh, to start their own company. And um, we applied for this um, grant basically, um, where you get some money for, for six months and um, used, used this time to um, set up the company, work on the concept and figured out what we actually wanted to do. And I think in the beginning, the idea was, okay, we use uh, our connections we have to get our first clients and then we need to go into different directions because there will not enough work to be. And we tried, we did like vision workshops and in what other areas we could, could dive into and slowly um, kind of the word spread around and, and clients were requesting our services and um, yeah then at some point it got so much that we started talking to Hawk and said I think we need your help. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how did you guys, I guess that you guys had an idea of the type of clients that you wanted to work with. Did you guys through the, throughout those early six months do any like research of, of the market or like how did you figure out that there was an existing market and it was not just native instruments. Um, yeah, we did all, let's say the basics, I would say of starting company, we did the business plan. Uh, we looked into the market. We looked if there's any competition, um, what possible clients are out there. And um, I can't even remember to who we reached out, but I think in the beginning it was, uh, of course, Native was um, our first clients alongside some older colleagues who, who left Native, who also started their own company. And um, this kept us, I think, busy for, for almost a year, I would say, probably, uh, because also the projects tend to usually are quite long I would say I think minimum is usually three months or something and some run up to a year and even after years sometimes they still keep developing until it's released so they're quite quite long cycles actually was the decision to um serve start an agency a UX agency or was the decision more about starting something and then you figure out you wanted to do UX later on or how like what was the idea behind the company I mean, this was pretty clear from the beginning, I would say. I mean, this is this is what we learned. This is what we studied. This is what we uh, what we worked for Native Instruments for five years for. Um, and, and it's just what we're good at. Um, so I think this was was pretty clear. And I mean, we had um, maybe to add to the to the question before. Um, since Native is also a, um, like a distributor for third party um, products in this market, we 
definitely had a good picture of of what the market actually is and, and that there are others that also need um need design and and we also knew that um since it also for native it was always quite hard to hire designers um uh, because yeah there were, weren't just so many people interested in in this field uh, surprisingly uh, but uh, also luckily because uh, we thought okay this is this is a chance for us to um to really uh, get into this niche and uh, yeah yeah so it wasn't that improvised you actually knew behind you knew before starting the company that there was a demand for that that it was really hard to find designers that specialize in music and and because and also because native instruments is this huge company that uses third party software there is an ecosystem of companies that already require the same types of services exactly yeah um yeah one thing i wanted to add to the to the question before as well uh, is that I think that the the music market, um, uh, the entire market is growing so much in in times of uh, Spotify, in times of SoundCloud. Everybody can be a producer, and there are so many young producers uh, coming, and everybody is uh, looking for um, for accessible ways to create music on the computer. And um, I think this is also, so this was actually, actually something that I've been um, researching a bit <coughs> before I even joined these two guys. And uh, it turned out that this is, this is such a growing market, uh, um, as I just said. And uh, I believe this is also where, um, um, how do you say, this is also where the potential lies. Yeah. Um you bring up a very interesting point, which is up until a few years, you couldn't really produce high quality music from your bedroom. And now you have all of these amazing technologies that are the actual same tools that world-class producers use in their studios. Um, things like Logic or, or you know, Pro Tools or, or Ableton. All of these are professional grade tools that anyone can, can act. They're pretty affordable, you know, for for a professional grade tool. And, and the hardware has also become very affordable. Um, and because like you guys said, there's a lot of people buying these products that drives the cost down because of economies of scale, creating even an even larger market for people who want to produce music uh, at home. And also the interfaces make it easy because it's not you don't have to learn programming or you don't have to learn um, music theory. There's like a plugin for, you know, music illiterates like myself to figure out chords and progressions and make something that sounds okay. Exactly. Yeah, I think this is also the market is much more targeting at these people uh, at the moment. So everybody wants to uh, somehow enable everybody <laughs> to um, to make music and also to make music up to a quality that. Um, um, that their role models could create. And this is going, um, I think this is going quicker and quicker. So the results, you're gonna get results very quickly by now. Um, also, especially due to the help of AI more and more, I think. And uh, this is a really interesting um, development of the market, I would say. Yeah, um, I know that a lot of, a lot of, well, 
we briefly talked about this last time uh, with Simon, but I, I was very interested in knowing if you ever consider working in, in designing hardware, um, like the actual physical interface, because, um, and we can talk about this later, but skeuomorphism is like a big thing in interface design for music production. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you guys feel like, um, or what are your feelings about physical interfaces or hardware design? I mean, I, for my part, also with my back, back, background in industrial design, I would totally be uh, be up for a project like that, um, to be honest. Uh, especially, I think, because it's a totally different medium than it is um, on the screen, of course. So you, you have to, um, suddenly you have to deal with uh, physical, haptical, uh, the haptical and physical world. Uh, you have to think about um, how can I actually control this. Uh, instead of using my mouse and uh, instead of maybe using some MIDI controller uh, and so on, of course, there's a connection from what I just said, MIDI controllers to the software inside of the computer, but <coughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different challenge, I would say, to create hardware. And uh, I, I would be up for that. We talk about this regularly, <laughs> I would say. Um, uh, it's... There's, of course, a limit to um, what we could offer there, I would say, because, um, sure, we we have a bit of a, an industrial design background and so on. Um, uh, we could definitely uh, talk about interfaces and interaction, I would say. Um, but these things are usually also connected to um, where can we get the components? How do we create the plastic... Um, the, the, the plastic um, uh, housing uh, and uh, what about the packaging and uh, so on and so forth it's a big it's, it's it makes things um, compared to software um, way more complex I would say even though software can be really complex uh, uh, I don't want to say software can't be complex especially talking about the design process that is related related to it but um, I think it's it's even more complex, and you have to consider even more aspects in the in the physical world. What are the things from um, designing interfaces for music production software that are different from designing for you know an app for social media or an app or uh, any other consumer app? Like, do you do you think there are certain things that you have to consider when you're designing for 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 music interfaces? I think there. Are, so, in my opinion, there's a there's a big overlap. Uh, talking about the design process, it's it's not some magical things that happen in the music world uh, that are different to creating an app, uh, whatever it is. Um, but um, yeah, the, I think the big difference is, the, of course, the understanding of the market. Uh, and I think a lot has to do with experience, I would say. Um, a lot has also to do with um, maybe being a musician by yourself and being able to really understand what things might be connected to other aspects of, of, a, of a software, of an, of an ecosystem maybe. Um, and I believe that to be able to think outside of the box, um, you have to have this understanding. And I also know that 
most of our clients think the same way. Yeah, I would also, I mean, it's basically in every design field, you have the basic principles of what is interface design, and then you always have the topic of what you're working on. Uh, whether it's for car design, you have to be familiar with how a car works and uh, the concepts behind this. Of course, for music, you, you will also need to have an understanding how, how music works, how oscillators, effects, and all these kind of things works in order to make sense of what you're designing there. I mean, you can, of course, just apply these basic design principles, but uh, I think you will be stuck quite early and uh, can't think outside the box and create innovative solutions if you don't really understand how it's working. And for us, with a lot of new projects, it's always uh, we have come to the point that, okay, you think we designed now the 20 synthesizers, but every synthesizer has its own challenges with every project, and we're gonna bang our heads against the wall and think, okay, we need to solve this now. It's really difficult because sometimes it's new products which haven't been done before or new systems or things like this. So we always have to also dive deep into the topics and really understand how all of this works in order to create a good, good interface. Okay. One thing I would like to add as well. Um, so I, I, I sometimes if I put myself into the into the position of a client um, in the music world um, that would maybe hire an agency that that has been creating um, applications for the smartphone before all the time, I think this company would most probably have to. We just talked about this yesterday. Um, pay quite some amount of money for somebody to understand that topic. So I don't, th I don't think it's impossible for others to, it, it would be arrogant to say it's impossible for other designers to, to understand these topics, and it's definitely um, possible. But I guess it's also a matter of cost, because, um, um, yeah, because you would have to, to hire an agency and pay somebody um, for the time to understand these things. Yeah, I was just talking to um to a friend yesterday about this. He was uh, we were talking about what's the future of UX, and I was actually mentioning what you just said. Um, how okay that it's um it's gonna be UX as a practice. The process is the same, but the expertise, the industry expertise, is that's going to determine the specialization of agencies and designers. Uh, it's like you were saying is um you need to understand what an oscillator does in order to figure out where to put it in the layout, right? Yeah, and maybe to, to add to this, um, also comparing it to maybe f the, the web systems I was working before, the web shops uh, prior to Native Instruments, is kind of every project is quite unique we do, and it's really hard to standardize uh, uh, maybe not workflows, but templates, for example, it's nearly impossible to make use of those because every product is so unique that you really have to rethink it from the beginning again. And when being designing web shops, we always had some kind of templates which gave us a good foundation to start something and made some smaller changes, but that was basically it. And I think this is definitely one of the, the big difference here is the, the complexity and uniqueness of each product. What what are like the typical challenges? Um, sort of like for us to get an idea of what are the, the 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 problems that you guys solve. Is it more about like where do I place every slider and every controller, or like how like what's the structure of the menu? Or like can you give me an example of 
like the tip the typical challenge that you that you guys have to um to overcome when working with a new project I think a lot of times it's because there are quite new technologies involved or new products with which haven't existed before. So uh, you can't get inspiration. I mean, you can get maybe visual inspiration, but not conceptual inspiration from other people's work. So you really have to kind of start from scratch and understand it even better. I mean, we're all not trained musicians. So um, that's an example for classical instruments. We really have to, to dive in deep into it and uh, really make sense of it and understand it for ourselves. Now I lost the <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah, I think the technology that is, I mean, a lot of software um, has, has, of course, has some, some core idea and um, this can be bound to a technology, this can be bound to some sort of interaction, um, uh, this can be hiding everything in the background and um, making, uh, making something um, as accessible and non-technical non as possible. And to really shape out this unique selling point, I think, um, is usually the challenge and understanding this, of course. And this is, but all I also, I think this is the most exciting part of any of all our projects, I would say, because we sit together with a client and we, we do workshops and we really um, together think about um, how we could actually shape this and how we could actually emphasize on these unique selling points. Um, one other thing, that I also think is really, I think I, everything is exciting. That, <laughs> that, 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 that is everything excites me what we do. Um, but one more thing that uh, I think is really exciting and is a challenge as well is f together finding out what visual language this should, uh, this should in the end reflect. And this is bound to the brand. And this can be bound to many aspects. Uh, it could also be bound to the target group, for example, and um, how can we actually, um, um, yeah, maybe, um, I think now I'm over-exaggerating, but maybe even um, somehow uh, represent a culture with, with this. Yeah, let's say there's, there's, a, there's some sort of um, uh, plugin that is being used for the genre of trap, uh, trap music, and um, then you have to then you have to see okay, what is what is trap looking like? I, I would say, and um, how do you do you that? Know how it sounds? Yeah, no. how we do this? Yeah, like um, I'm curious, like what's your research process like? Because what if you have to design, for instance, um, uh, a synthesizer that simulates I don't know classical strings or like a string quartet, which is like a very specific type of like aesthetics and, and, and type of people that play those instruments. Like, how yeah. do you go about understanding what's the culture, what's the visual aspect, and how do you like abstract that and put it into your design? Um, yeah, I think the strings is a good example because I did um, a string library on orchestral series and uh, I was at the same problem because you just don't want to show a picture of a violin on the interface. Um, and make it a bit more exciting. And then I started actually really understanding what, how is a violin even made? What does it consist of? What wood 
do they use? Why does it have the shape it's using? And then you come to the point, oh, it's actually using golden ratios and Fibonacci spirals everywhere. And you start to connect the dots to, to use the language a violin uses, but put them in a slightly different context and maybe create icons who, who use the same language or materials or colors. And then you instantly have these kind of connections or can evoke this emotion without actually showing this. And I think this is kind of a, I would say, kind of a standard process to to figure out or to to not digest, to extract everything what belongs to this topic or instrument and see what it's constructed out and then taking these parts and reconstruct it again. Yeah, that, that's what in design I think is called uh, deconstructing, right? Which is you analyze something that already exists and, and then you ex extract sort of like the the signifiers and the different characteristics and try to apply them not in a literal way, which would be just drawing a violin, which would be lame, yeah. uh, but uh, actually taking a look at each one of the details and how initially that, for instance, in the case of the violin, how, how the violin was designed and what was the context when the violin was designed, which was, I don't know, hundreds of years ago. And then applying the same principles into the into the new software, so there's going to be a resemblance um, that's going to connect it to the to the history of the instrument without being too literal. So actually advancing the design of 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 that um, object. Yeah, exactly. You kind of want to transport it into the to, into the current day as well. It's like reverse engineering, I would say, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is this is another point, I guess, that um, makes designing music software so special and so different to other software, right? I mean, we barely use any, um, like, uh, stuff like material design or these, these pre-made um, things, like, because it's always custom solutions, and this is what really makes every project in the end so unique and so special. Uh, what tools do you use when you're designing? Like, because because it it caught my attention that you don't use these pre-made libraries that every other UX and UI designer use. Um, so, like, what's your actual like? Like, do you use Figma, Photoshop, pen and paper? I mean, it's mostly Figma nowadays, um, but Hauke still loves using Illustrator. Illustrator has so many more options and <laughs> you will get your results so quickly. <laughs> it's like an Adobe commercial now, right? And um, uh, yeah, so I, I really enjoy using Illustrator still. And I know designers in our field <laughs> that actually only use Illustrator still. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I actually, now I feel a bit old school. Um, yeah, but I think I think I'm so. What I also do and what I also like is getting away from the computer. I think every designer says that it's important to get away from the computer and just draw a couple of pages in your sketchbook. Uh, if it's about icons, if it's about getting familiar with the topic, uh, if it's maybe about um, um, understanding a layout um, and putting in all the component components or so. Um, this is another tool I would say mostly Figma. And um, around this, a lot of a lot of 3D thing, uh, 3D software uh, as well. For uh, just because you get the smoother surfaces for for the smoother gradients, 
nice textures. Yeah. What do you use for that? Um, I mainly use <laughs> use Blender. <laughs> yeah, I used to do uh, quite a lot 3D in the past, and at some point it was at Native. I got introduced into Blender and um, fell in love with it. Um, because it's it's a great tool and yeah it it makes I mean I have a personal in interest I would say and also kind of the same like uh, analyzing how materials work how textures work and I think in the 3D space you can really quickly iterate on some ideas you have and you you get this kind of quality which is hard to emulate when you recreate it in, in Figma or Illustrator and so a lot of times you can just use it as kind of a blueprint to get like an visual idea and then recreate it in Illustrator or, or Figma um, to just to have this kind of kind of complexity uh, real objects have right when you do something when you do a gradient in Figma you have a color from top to bottom but when you do this gradient in in blender and have maybe three or four lights you all of a sudden have very subtle changes in all these areas and that makes it really interesting that's very interesting so you guys model the piece in 3d to see how the light impacts the surface and what the texture looks like on on different lighting conditions and different angles then grab screenshots or exports of that in in, in jpeg or png bring that to your 2D designing tool, whether, whether that's Figma or Illustrator, and from there, try to recreate it in a 2D um, sort of like way. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I mean, a lot of times, um, I mean, a lot of people also use, let's say it a bit older technology where you actually use PNG sprites. So you have a knob and then for every state you have a single image. I think it's quite common still in the gaming industry or was at least to use these kind of image sprites with different states. And then we would actually also just render the rotation of a knob or a slider and render the separate images out. But now since more and more uh, software is scalable, and use uh, modern frameworks where they can use vector images. We somehow have to recreate them. Yeah. yeah, when you're designing these interfaces, do you have to account for different resolutions? Because I'm I'm thinking if you if it's a PNG or if like if it's a bitmap, you're not gonna be able to scale it to different resolutions. Like I have a 4K monitor, and some apps just look tiny or pixelated. Like, how do you deal with that if you're mostly working with render graphics? Um, I would say a lot of instruments are not scalable and uh, I would say that I mean the trend of course is to having more uh, software scalable some use just like steps of resolutions like 50% 100% 150% and then can provide uh, different assets for that but I would say m most of our instruments now have the have the availability to being scaled freely and then it just have to be vector graphics and and you achieve or that with uh 3d graphics so it has to be 3d right uh no no then we would just use this as a base for the visual design and recreate it in vector uh-huh okay i think um what i'm really happy to see is that uh, a lot of a lot of plugins more and more get coded so it's not that um, so maybe you would incorporate some svgs but um, a lot of things can be generated by code and um, i think this is a nice development so i think um, yeah the question of resolution and um, uh, you know shifting 
putting pixels in the exact right position and and so on uh, will not play an actual role anymore anytime soon yeah i hope because i i use i don't know if, you, if i told you guys i definitely told simon i am um, i play guitar i don't know if i can get the autofocus to focus my guitar <laughs> yeah. and, um, uh, yeah, and yeah. sometimes i use audio simulators to um for for amp sounds and usually they are not scalable. It's like you said, it comes with two predetermined resolutions, 50% and 100%. And if, and if none of those work, then you're screwed. Like, <laughs> so you, you, you end up uh, the plugin being either too big or too small for, for your screen or for your eyes, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's yeah, very annoying. This is, this, this is not accessible. <laughs> no, it's like, it's 2021. It's time to catch up. Yeah. I think a lot of this comes from software being developed over a long period of time and they have quite, I would say, strict, um, how do you say, rules, how they need to be used. Imagine Madonna uses, uh, or a, a keyboard player of Madonna uses uh, so the software on stage in front of a million people. It just have to work. It's not supposed to crash. And uh, I think this is, uh, it's to some degree and to some use cases, more important than having uh, the software scalable or, or flexible. And um, I think there has been put a lot of focus on st stability, audio quality, which are, of course, uh, very important facts. Uh, but um, I think the more the consumer graphic or the consumer apps get well designed, um, the audio industry needs to catch up and also be good designed exactly and this is i think a really important point people are so much used to um to design patterns um, that they see on their phones right and um i believe that um, a lot of these people will also expect this happening inside of their computer uh, on desktop right um talking about animations talking about um, scalability maybe even responsive design also and um uh, yeah, it, I think it's just, um, it would just be um, contemporary to uh, also consider these aspects. Yeah, Jacob Nielsen says that um, your users spend most of their time using other people's software. So when they get to your software, it better work um, the way they expect it to. Um, I sure. You mentioned, you, you mentioned, um, Madonna's keyboard player playing in front of, you know, thousands of people. Um, what are the considerations when you're designing a software or an interface for the stage? Um, and we're talking about sp specific lighting conditions, uh, strobing lights, or very dark stages. Um, how do you like design for those situations? This is a good question, I think. So we, of course, try to consider some of the aspects um, that are related to this, I would say, such as color blindness and so on. <coughs> um, the primary use case that we are designing for usually is um, working inside a studio. Mm. So um, yeah, this is also why a lot of a lot of um, clients we collaborate with um, 
decide for a rather dark interface and not for for bright interface it would be fatiguing to your eye uh, if you stare at this for i don't know how long in, in your dark studio right um it to be honest i've never been designing for something in the digital world at least um that needs to work um in a in a concert environment as you just said strobo light or something um, this um, and I'm currently thinking, what would that mean to a software? That's actually a really interesting. Uh, this is a really interesting question. I think uh, what to, to just to finish this. I've been also working on hardware at Native Instruments, and um, there the use case of being on a festival usually was a um, was a really um, yeah thing that we needed to take into account and uh, therefore we uh, of course had a look at the contrasts on the screens of the hardware and um, of course checked that this would also work if some sun would shine on it um, so it would yeah it would go black and white for example that's so interesting because sometimes in festivals it's summer you know when people used to go to festivals um, it, it was it's summer, super bright light, and the reflection and the glare on your laptop uh, is going to be super hard to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I guess I mean for me this is um, although we we haven't been in the situation to design for these situations, but I think you could like a, a general answer would be just just um, I mean going with this human centered design principles is just like getting getting into the situation, like watching people in these particular situations, um, talk to them, see what their needs are, and, and obviously test a lot. That's, I guess, the, the universal answer for this. That's, that's, very, um, that's very interesting because uh, it reminds me when you were saying about designing uh, a plugin or an application for trap music, um, you have to observe um, what's the what's the situation like? What's the aesthetic of the environment? Uh, how people behave, or what's sort of like the subculture within that music, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I guess we can we can already see a, um, quite a trend in in um, really yeah reduced complexity. Uh, of of the products we're working on, right? It's getting it's getting more and more simple, and really for yeah for people that want fast results and and don't want to go into editing like crazy, and and um, this is really um, yeah really a thing we can we can see. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. And uh, also, what I think, uh, what I see is that um, especially in these situations onboarding the people into a software which is so common in so many different environments happens happens more and more in this field so I believe UX is somehow somewhat uh, arriving and um, you know the understanding of uh, user experience design and the understanding of being accessible and the understanding of um, yeah of not creating a cognitive overload in your software um, uh, really, yeah, really gets um, more and more, I would say. How do you go about testing your, your designs? Because I guess when you're testing it, 
the prototype needs to do things that Figma cannot do, like modify an audio wave or apply an effect or process a signal. Uh, do you usually collaborate with developers or, or how do you go about testing the design? Yeah, a lot of times um, our clients already have prototypes in place or functioning software, even maybe on a basic level. Um, so this really helps uh, to get the, the first idea from other users. Um, but a lot of times we also just test with um, usual Figma prototypes for general workflows and see if people get along inside the interface, if they have any problems there. But I would say it's definitely um, quite some work always involved to have um, actual usable software which, which can be tested. Um, which is, I would say, more relevant if the product is a bit more special or something really new because it didn't, you can't look how other people do it. But um, of course, yeah, would we try always to, to get it in front of a few people and see how it works. Yeah, I, so for my part, I would actually like to test even more. And uh, I think currently also maybe uh, test some things in a really early stage. And um, unfortunately, this is not possible from face to face at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, I think um, uh, this also has to be, of course, desired with the by the people that you work with, right? And um, yeah, but we're trying to establish this as much as possible. Yeah, I guess it's also our our. Uh duty to educate a bit um, in, in this regards. Like we, we always try to tell people um, to, to have some more budget for testing and everything that it will be, will, will be worth in the end. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. Like most of the tools aren't really made for this kind of stuff and we have to get creative a little bit. Sometimes we also use um, After Effects, for example. And oh, that's cool. Uh, to bring in some motion and, and yeah. Do you ever use uh, a bit of a hassle? Do you ever use the uh, the hardware that you have in the background, um, all of the synthesizers, to like test concepts or like figure out or imagine how something would look? Um, not not really. I would say. I mean, it's such a. It's. I mean, there's the big difference coming into play between between hardware and software and I mean you can you can have some orientation um, or, or um, have a look at how how workflows or, or stuff is solved on these machines but it's so different um, if somebody has like one hand for a for a mouse and one for a keyboard or um, or a MIDI controller and doing something on a screen so yeah or do you the hardware in the background mostly is being used for making music on Friday <laughs> nights. <laughs> it's actually used for that. From <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, um, yeah, but of course, some from time to time we we have a look at uh, how maybe parameters um, are in interconnected and work in conjunction. Um, and uh, sometimes, of course, green workflows might be interesting to um, to discover a bit. Um, yeah, but I think uh, more for most of the hardware, I can even tell it from the top of my head. 
thing. Um, I would, yeah, what I wanted to add is that this is also, I would say, also the interesting uh, or some interesting project if if people want to recreate um, software scenes from hardware. And a lot of times we see just bland copies of what they have on the hardware to an interface, but actually there's so much possibility you have there because stuff you can't do on hardware, you can't do in software and vice versa. And uh, I think it's also the, always the challenge for us if uh, we work on a project like this, that how can we translate some of the features and make them much better usable on software? Or because instead of four sliders, for example, for a, a tech curve, you can use like an XY pad or, or, or whatever you have on, on software. So it's much, much more options and maybe some are more suitable. And it's super interesting. Where do you think the field of UX and UI for music is going to go in a few years or what's the direction this is going to take? Um, you mean, uh, sorry, you mean in, in terms of designers working in this field and what they could bring to this field? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I I misunderstood the question. <laughs> I mean, both. Like, how do you think designers are gonna contribute more to this field? But also, what do you think are gonna what do you think are gonna be the challenges moving forward? Um, I would say maybe from a trend we also see in other areas that we have more and more machine learning and AI coming in into this. And um, I think general trend we have will have is software will get easier to use. Uh, machines will do more of the cumberstone work we don't want to do so we can express our ideas more easily and uh, i hope at least that we then can also use the time we maybe save on on designing put uh, put more on the time we spend with users and and diving deeper into their problems and i think nowadays is still like percentage wise a shift that we spend more work on the ui part than on the ux part um, I think once we have uh, better better help from AIs and technology, we might be able to focus a bit more on the concepts and that I believe that this will shift in the future. Yeah, I also think, again, the topic of getting quick results um, is, is, a, is a big thing now and will be ev an even bigger thing, I believe. And I have a theory. <laughs> I believe that uh, since people are are used to consuming media and social media and what what not um, in 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 little chunks. Um, they get more and more impatient, and uh, this the same thing happens uh, in in the field of um, creating music on the computer. So uh, this is, I think, a strong. It might be a strong uh, sign for um, artificial intelligence. Um, taking over more and more things uh, that yeah that are actually um, the fiddly parts uh, where I think music actually is being created but um, especially young producers um, from what I know um, yeah just just want to get just want to get their stuff finished yeah they want to get their idea in place right? I, I do think um, machine learning and these tools are gonna be able to provide you with a bunch of options based on certain criteria that's going to accelerate you're not going to spend all your day 
moving pixels around in Figma or Illustrator, but you're gonna get already three options that match your criteria. You choose your favorite one and then you start working on that one and it saves you one or two days of work. Yeah, I think for me also kind of, uh, I always think back of the early days of, of gaming when we used to, to meet with our computers and we connected the network and it took like three hours until everything is working. I feel it's quite similar when you try to make music with other people. You spend two hours like connecting everything, getting the cables run, MIDI is not working here and there. And I think all this will hopefully get get easier in the future and also um, have the people make what they actually want to do and and not spend so much time figuring out technology. That would be great. What would be like the ideal project that you would like to work on, like for a company or in general? Like what would you like to design uh, in, the, in the music field? And you can give me three different answers if, if it's not the same. I mean, I would, I would honestly say that we are already working on these products. <laughs> um, um, it's, for me, it's, it's hard to, to really um, define it. I don't know. I'm, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to hear about like kind of new concepts, really new instruments, not, not the stuff that is, I don't know, that I mean, it's it's already quite saturated market and in in some areas, and still there's um, yeah plugins coming out or instruments coming out that are actually already existing for a while and like yeah new concepts. Yeah, I think th there's already s innovation happening a lot to some extent, um, but I, I for my part. Um, kind of waiting for the big banger that is changing the market uh, to be honest and um, yeah I would be I would be happy to work on something um, which is really um, yeah, which which is really experimental maybe maybe it's connected to uh, to VR maybe it's um, you know like some sort of exploration where the music industry actually might go some more research-related um, topics, maybe. Yeah, I think we're all secretly waiting to justify to buying some VR glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would also be super interested in that, alongside also just creating some iPad apps or something. We haven't done that uh, in the past, and because it just has different interactions. And I think, I don't know, since I'm a sucker for ambient and drone music, I think everything which is related to that in the instrument would be great too. Yeah. yeah, I was surprised to to hear from Simon last time that you haven't really designed for touch screens. And I thought there's so many possibilities because the touch screen is like one layer closer to working with a hardware instrument. Yeah, it's very true. And I think uh, a lot of instruments on, on the iPads miss the point uh, or make not use of these interactions because once you try to moving a knob with your finger on the iPad, you realize it doesn't work. Do you go in a circle or do you go left, right, up, down? And so this, I think there's a lot of opportunity for trying out different concepts and that would be super exciting. Yeah, maybe go beyond the metaphor of the slider and the knob 
that we've been using for so long. Like there's so many things that multi-touch allows you to do that I think are not being explored. Again, because we're still trying to like bring all that baggage from the hardware world. All right, guys, it's been super amazing chatting with you. Um, I would love to visit your office one day when I'm when I come to Berlin yeah, and great. jam out if I bring my guitar. Uh, it was very interesting to hear all of your uh, techniques and your appreciation of what it takes to design for, for music production. Uh, you guys have the best job in the world, in my opinion, because you get to combine your passion and, and make money out of it. So um, would you like to wrap up uh, with, with a little bit of the, that we didn't touch upon? Maybe say a little bit about what the, uh, what type of clients you would like um, to reach to you, reach out to you. None in particular, I would say. <laughs> but everybody, I mean, we just we just said uh, that um, maybe it's going to be interesting to work on something more experimental. If there's somebody um, who who has a pretty new idea um, and who's convinced this is gonna hit the market, um, I would I would be definitely up for researching a bit around that and uh, validating some of the points maybe. Um, but I can't think of any particular um, company I would now name any of you. No? Well, that means you're doing exactly what you what you should that you, what you're supposed to do, what you should be doing. Yeah, um, yeah I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So again, it was a pleasure talking with you. It's, it was so interesting. I had a lot of fun learning right, about nice. how you do things. Um, where can people go to connect with you or maybe hire you or just, you know, say hi? Best would be our homepage, I would say. Um, on our homepage, uh, resonant.design, you could also have a look at uh, what we offer and how we work. And uh, there's a nice picture of, of the three of us. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, people connect to us on Behance, people connect to us on LinkedIn, um, uh, some over the homepage. Uh, there's different channels, I would say. Best might be the homepage and just mail us. All right, sounds great. Well, you guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Um, it was a pleasure. And yeah, that's Same. it for this week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.